uh, we're going to begin a brand new series entitled The Four Invitations of Christ. And, and we're going to see some things, I believe, as I said just a moment ago, specifically for the body of Christ, as God is really challenging us and calling us uh, into a deeper place of intimacy with Him. And uh, so next Sunday, Pastor Rick will be preaching, and then in two weeks from today, we'll kind of wrap up this series together. First thing I want you to see that the Lord really just stirred in my heart, just a real simple thought, and that is that the invitations of Christ are progressive. The invitations of Christ are progressive. Uh, Jesus is continually calling us to go deeper. So I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. I want you to begin to understand that there is a continual call. There is a continual call from heaven over your life. And that God is consistently and continually calling us to go deeper. And I want to just encourage you in something. I want to encourage you in a mentality that says, I refuse to be stagnant and stale. I mean, if you ever tried to get some bread out and you reach in the little, you know, the little plastic bag and you pull out the bread and you realize, man, that bread's a little too old, right? Uh, and it's done, it's done gotten hard or done started growing some penicillin on it. And you realize, hey, this is probably not the most edible thing in the house, right? I want you to understand, that's what happens a lot of times in Christians' lives. Christians abandon the invitation of the Lord. They, they begin to ignore the voice of God that is calling them deeper. And I want to just encourage us tonight, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, if you got saved last week or if you've been loving and living for Jesus for 50 years, I want you to understand there is a greater depth to what God wants to do in your life than what He's already done. And if we will be continually consistent in answering the invitation of the Lord and allowing God to invite us to go deeper. I've really been thinking about this thought that everything that really happens in Christianity always happens as a response to the invitation of the Lord. God is consistently calling us. I mean, the scripture actually says that there are none that are righteous, no, not one, and that no man seeks after the Lord. We, we on our own never pursue God. The only reason we ever pursue God is because God awakens something within us that desires to know Him. Right? When you got saved, you got saved not because you had an intellectual decision. You got saved because the Holy Spirit awoken something within you that made you realize that you desperately needed to know who God was. You wanted to know Him. You wanted to serve Him. You wanted to live for Him. You wanted to lay your life down and experience who He was. And that was totally the result of an initiation from God's Spirit in your heart. So God always invites us to join Him. And your Christian life will be dictated, the, the excitement, the enthusiasm. I was, I was thinking this week as I was praying and preparing uh, for tonight and for this weekend, uh, as we were in Guatemala, the, uh, the couple that started the home uh, that houses the special needs children. The gentleman's name is Daryl. I had an opportunity to spend a day with Daryl as we were going out in the community visiting children and praying for them and taking food and diapers to them. As we were going out, we were talking, and he, he made a statement. He said, I remember when I was lost and I was running from God. He said, and I remember having this thought. I remember thinking that if I get saved and start going to church, my life will be boring. He said, I remember thinking that. And he said, and it wasn't too long ago. They've been, I believe, in Guatemala about five years. He said, it was a couple years after we were here. He said, and we had went to pick up food. And he said, when we got there, the food that was donated to us was more than we could carry. 
He says, so we rounded up the back of the pickup truck, ran ropes over it to tie it down so it wouldn't fall off. He said, and there was three of us in the front of this truck. He said, we had so much food, we left the driver in the truck and filled the seats up beside him with food. And he said, me and the other guy stood on the back bumper of the truck driving 50 miles an hour down the highway holding on to a rope to deliver food to special needs kids. And he said, I was holding on to that rope clinging for my dear life. He said, and the Holy Spirit said, is this boring? And there is nothing boring about following Jesus. And if you are bored in your Christian life, you have stopped accepting the invitations of the Lord. If you're stagnant and stale and bored, it's not because God's boring. It's not because Christianity is boring. It's not because living for God is boring. If you're stagnant in your Christian life, it is because there is an invitation from God that you have failed to accept. Because He is continually, progressively inviting us to go deeper. So let me give you our first invitation from the Lord. So the first invitation of Christ is an invitation of examination. God literally invites me and you to taste and see that he is good. Now, if you remember when you were lost and, and you, were, uh, you didn't know God, you know, your B.C. days before Christ, and you remember, do you remember those days that there was, there was a curiosity and, and you decided, you know, there were some moments in your life when you decided, hey, I'm going to kind of check out that church thing. I'm going to check out that Jesus thing. Maybe you even were in a hotel and you found the Gideon Bible and you thought, hey, I'm going to check out this Bible thing. You know, I hear all them preachers talking about you'll read the Bible. And, and, and you know what? Uh, in, in, our, in our journey to come to Christ, there's a lot of examination. And I want to just encourage you in just a little thought. God gets excited when you begin to examine the reality of who he is and what he wants to do in your life. If you don't know him, God gets real excited when you begin to respond to that invitation and you start being curious about the things of God. And let me just interject this real quick. If you, how many of you work in a work environment where not everybody is a Christian? Anybody work with lost people? Isn't that awesome? See, we don't look at that a lot of times as awesome. A lot of times I have Christians come up to me all the time, pray for me, Pastor Keith, I work with a bunch of lost people. And I'm like, praise God. I hang out with a bunch of saved people, and sometimes they get boring, but lost people are not boring. Right? Right? Lost people are exciting. And you never know what they're going to come in talking about. I can tell you what Brother Curtis is going to talk about tomorrow. I know it. He'll tell I know what he'll be talking about. Brother Jim, I know what he's going to be talking about. He's going to be telling me about the money. There's no doubt. I will know what brother. But man, you meet somebody that don't know Jesus, their life is a wreck. It's turned upside down. They don't know what they're going to be doing in the next five minutes, much less the next five years. And they are, I mean, their life is really, really crazy, right? And God has put you in their life. God has put you in their life because he is drawing them unto himself. And God wants to use you as a believer to allow them to examine who God is. Let me say that again. God has put you in the life of an unbeliever to allow them to examine who God is. And if you don't believe me, the reason that so many lost people 
don't like, quote, saved people is because they've been examining the people that name the name of Jesus Christ but don't actually live for Jesus Christ and they think the whole church is full of hypocrites. But God has on purpose put you in a place where you are surrounded and interacting with people that don't know Him. Why? Because God is using you as an instrument of examination so they can look at your life, how you handle stress, how you handle disappointment, how you handle failure, how you handle your struggles, how you handle your victories, how you handle your defeats. And God has put you in their life so they can examine Him through you. That's pretty powerful. That's a pretty powerful thought when you think about it. That the world is examining Christ. And one of the most significant ways they examine Jesus is they examine me and you. Now, you and I know we are not the perfect picture of Christianity. None of us are. We all have days and moments when we wish nobody was watching. Right? You ever have one of those moments? And then in our crazy world, then you find out somebody videoed it. You know, you're like, oh my gosh. Didn't see that coming. But the, the, the awesome reality is we all understand, hey, we are, we are not the perfect picture of who Jesus is. But we ought to be able to give people a glimpse of the heart of God. They ought, they ought to know through your life that God is good. If you look at that scripture, Psalms 34, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I was studying that scripture this week and I, I just thought, I had this thought, I said, Lord, I said, there's a whole lot of things I would think that the world would need to know about you. God's holy, God's righteous, God's just, God's true. I said, Lord, why in the world did you say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good? And the Holy Spirit very quickly quickened my heart. He said, because that is one of the greatest attributes of my character that is assaulted by the enemy and the culture of our world. See, most people really don't think God is good. They think God is out to get them. They think God is evil. They think God... You know, if you listen to most Christians talk, I mean, not here, praise God, but you listen to a lot of Christians talk, one day God's for you, one day he's God against you. One day God's trying to help you, one day God's trying to stomp you out, and it almost sounds like God's bipolar. Right? You ever listen to some people talk about God? In one breath, God is good. In another breath, man, God is after me. I mean, it's like crazy. So is God good or is God not good? Is God holy or is God not holy? And so as I was reading that and the Holy Spirit was starting my heart, he said, Keith, he said, one of the simplest but one of the most profound revelations that any person can ever get about me, God said, is that I am good. Because if you don't think God is good, then everything else really doesn't matter. Because if he's not a good God, you probably can't trust him. 
And if you think about that, look at the last part of that verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. See, you can't trust in a God that's not good. Because if God's not good, then you never really know how's He going to respond to what you're doing. I mean, if you pray, is He going to answer your prayer? Is He not going to answer your prayer? If you ask Him to do something, is He going to help you? Or is He going to kind of crush you? Is, is God working for your benefit? Or is, is God healing your body? Or is God cursing you with sickness? I mean, which is it? Is God trying to save your family? Or is God judging your family? Which is it? And if you don't know that God is good, then you're going to spend your life really confused. And you're never going to come to a place where you fully trust in Him. Because you can't trust somebody that's not good. I heard it said a long time ago, you can't do good business with a bad man. Right? Somebody that has an evil heart will never consistently do the right thing. They'll only do the right thing as long as the right thing benefits them. And when the right thing stops benefiting them, they'll do the wrong thing because if they're evil, they're not concerned about you. They're only concerned about themselves. So if God is not good, then we can never trust Him. And so God gives us this invitation of examination. And God says, you know what, just come taste and see. Heard a preacher say a long time ago, if you ever try God and you don't like Him, the devil will always take you back. Right? <laughs> the devil will always take you back. And so here's, here's the thought. God is inviting us to examine Him. And God is not intimidated by examination. God is not intimidated by the fact that you want to try the spirits, the Bible says, to see whether they be of God. God is not intimidated by the fact that you can test Him, the Scripture says, in the arena of your finances. The Lord says, test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing so great that you cannot contain. God is not intimidated by examination. God actually invites me and you to examine who He is. And what's exciting about Christianity is when you read the history of Christianity and some of the greatest voices that have ever spoke for God were voices that started out trying to silence the name of Jesus. Two-thirds of the New Testament is actually written by a man who hated God, or not hated God, he hated Jesus, and he hated the followers of Christ, and he had set out in his heart to abolish Christianity from the face of the planet, and the apostle Paul, who was then Saul, had a genuine encounter with God. And in his blindness, he actually saw God. And when the scales fell off, he realized that the examination of his faith turned out to be genuine and real and that this God who sent his son Jesus was really the God of heaven and earth and Jesus really was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And, and he said, I want to live the rest of my life serving him, honoring him, loving him, sharing the message of the gospel. Some of the greatest contemporary voices in our world are voices that declare the name of Jesus, but at one time they were atheists or agnostics that set out to disprove the name of God. And they said, you know what? We're going to disprove the name of God. We're going to disprove the claims of Christianity. We're going to disprove the Bible. And you know what happened? They ended up examining truth 
and finding out that God is who he says he is. Now let me just let me just tweak it just a minute for me and you. So most of us are probably not examining whether God is who he says he is. We've accepted Jesus Christ. We've trusted in the fact that he's God's only begotten son and whosoever believes in him will not perish. We've kind of settled that issue. But but I want to ask you, what other arenas, what other elements of God are you still wrestling with? Is it healing? Is it deliverance? Is it the Holy Spirit? Is it tongues? Is it prophecy? Is it, is it miracles? Is it, is it holiness? What other element? Because you know what I found? I found out, man, there's some things about God I'm still searching out. <laughs> there's some things I'm still examining. I'm just telling you, I, I had not got it figured out yet. And I'm like, God, there is so much more here than what I figured out. And I'm going to dig in. And let me just tell you, behind that heart is God's Spirit inviting you and compelling you to examine Him. To examine Him. To begin to taste and see, hey, is this thing that God says really true? Is healings really for today? Are miracles really for today? Are the gifts of the Holy Spirit really still in operation? Can somebody that doesn't even know me actually prophesy to me and tell me something that God says about me that they have no way to know about? Can that really happen in our world today? Let me just tell you something. If you have questions, go to the source. Just go to God. Just, just open your Bible. When I, was, when I was young and started preaching and starting ministering the gospel, I met a lot of crazy people, and I met some folks that came from different denominations, and some of them were really boring, and some of them were really crazy, and I thought, well, God, this is just really weird. And So I would talk to this group, and they would say, well, this is how you love God and serve God. And I'd talk to this group, and they'd say, well, this is what it means to love God and serve God. And, and so I just finally decided, God, what do you say, it says, <laughs> to love you and serve you. And, and I just began to examine the Scriptures. I just began to seek the Word of God. I just began to go before the Lord and say, you know what, God, I know what I've heard. I know what I've been taught. I know what I've even believed. But, God, I want to know what is real. And I want to know truth. And, God, your Word is truth. And so I want to encourage you tonight as a believer in Jesus Christ to continually Accept the invitation of examination. Uh, Jonathan's over here on the front row. Jonathan, can I pick on you for a second? Is that all right? We, we had an opportunity to go to Belize together with Jonathan and Monica, just a great couple, and, and we were getting to know them a little bit. And, and so we're, we're, every day we would drive about 30, 45 minutes in our little in the, in the van to the workshop where we were working. And about the day number two, maybe, it probably was first day, but day number two, Jonathan said, well, you care if I ask you a few questions? And I said, no, that'd be great. And he broke out, I don't know if it was your iPad or a piece of paper, your iPad, I guess. He had 14 pages of questions. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so exciting. And some of the questions, I was like, I don't have a clue. You know, we just had to figure that one out. There's more there than I even know. And, and some I thought I might have had an answer to. But here's the reality. God is inviting me and you to taste and see that he is good. God is good. And the goodness of God permeates everything that he does. Even in judgment is the goodness of God. 
And when you begin to examine him and you begin to pursue him and you begin to press into him and you begin to seek him, I want to tell you something. The Bible says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. That's a promise. God promises to fill your cup when you come with a spirit of examination that is humble and honest. So let's look at that next point on your outline, and that is that honest evaluation produces salvation. Honest evaluation produces salvation. Now we think of salvation as salvation tomorrow. That's going to be the emphasis. We're going to talk very clearly tomorrow about what it means when you really begin to honestly evaluate who God is, the claims that he made about himself, his salvation, his hope, and, and our deliverance that is in him. But I want you to understand salvation is more than just that moment when you accept Christ. Salvation, the word salvation is the Greek word that kind of sums up every good thing that God could ever give you. The word salvation means not only to be saved, not only to have eternal life, but it means to be healed, to be made whole, to be blessed, to be prospered. It's kind of like God's little magic word that says every good thing that I could ever want to give you is wrapped up in this thing I call salvation. And so I want you to understand that honest examination always produces salvation. It always produces salvation. When you honestly go before the Lord now, and, and the Holy Spirit put that word honest because sometimes we come before God with a, with a critical spirit that's not honest evaluation. Because let me just say, if you want to find something wrong with anybody, including God, you can find it. Now, it may not be true what you find, but you can find fault with anyone or anything. You can find fault in Scripture. You can find fault in people. You can find fault in the church. You can find fault even with God. If you don't have a honest, a humble, and a sincere heart. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It is that revelation of Christ that only comes out of a pure heart, only out of an honest evaluation that says, God, I'm coming to you, and Lord, I want to know about this, and I want to discover this, and I want to know you in a deeper way. And I'm doing it not with a critical spirit, not with a skeptical spirit. God, I'm doing it out of honest evaluation, out of a pure heart. God, I want to know who you are, what you've got for my life, and I want to experience the fullness of who you are. Honest evaluation always produces salvation. It always manifests in your life the thing that God has for you. And so I want to encourage you that wherever you're at tonight in your Christian walk, maybe there's some things out there that you're kind of just, you know, you're not really sure about, you're a little confused about, you're not really, you know, you, you, you just don't know. That's okay, and that's good. But pursue it. Don't stay in a place of ignorance Engage in the invitation of God to begin to examine the things that God has placed around you, in you, upon you, whatever it may be. Pursue the Lord with honest evaluation. And that last part of that statement says, because the goodness of God always leads to repentance. If you look there, our next scripture, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this. It says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Isn't that interesting? It's not the fear of God that leads you to repentance. See, that's why God said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because God knew that if you ever discovered his goodness, 
it would lead you to repentance. See, it's not the fear of hell. It's the revelation of the love of God that saves your soul. I've met people that, quote, accepted Christ because they didn't want to go to hell, and they made lousy Christians. Lousy Christians. And the reason they made lousy Christians is because I'm not really sure that they were Christians. Because they were being driven by fear instead of led by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so, honest evaluation always produces salvation. It always brings, it always manifests in your life that thing that God has for you. Because it is through the goodness of God that we are led to repentance. God's goodness brings a revelation in our life that the way we were thinking was wrong. Because the word repentance literally means to change the way you think. We understand that when you change the way you think, you change the way you live, you change the way you act, you change the way you talk, you change the way that you function in life. But until you change the way you think, nothing really changes. And it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's the goodness of God that brings that light bulb experience where you begin to say, you know what, God is good. And God loves me. And everything that God is working in my life, He's working together for my good. And all of a sudden, I'm going to begin to change my mind. Instead of resisting that thing, I'm going to begin to embrace that thing. Isn't it amazing how we resist God? I mean, we're, we're kind of a crazy praise and worship kind of sometimes, even up here jumping around kind of people, right, when it comes to worship. I, I remember I grew up Baptist. I, I pastored a Methodist church. I remember the first time I raised my hand. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, my heart was pounding. You know, you, you thought I was about to jump up on the stage and do something crazy. I'm just like, oh, you know, I mean, it was just so good. Just taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Honest evaluation produces salvation because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. All of a sudden it begins to change. We begin to see him for who he is. We begin to change the way we think. And therefore we begin to change the way we live our lives. All right, let's look at our second invitation from Christ. The second invitation of Christ is an invitation of revelation. You guys understand this, but I want to say it anyway just for the sake of saying it. Salvation is not the end. It is the beginning. Getting saved, born again, whatever you want to call your salvation experience, the moment you made a decision to follow Christ, that moment when your sins were forgiven, your future was settled, your heart was changed, that moment, salvation is not the end of your Christian life. It is just the beginning. At that moment, God is just beginning to unlock the work that He wants to do in you and the work that He wants to do through you. Salvation is step one. And after that invitation of examination, God gives us an invitation of revelation and God begins to reveal himself to you and to me and he invites us into a spiritual life. How many of you understand? I, I had an opportunity. We've had five deaths in our church or our church family this week just since Tuesday. I preached a funeral yesterday, preached a funeral today and got to attend a funeral tomorrow. And, and the reality is, is death has an amazing way of making you realize there is more to life than what we see. 
this ain't all it is. There is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual realm that is not just eternal in the heavens. There is a spiritual realm that is at work right now in the earth. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. You are a spiritual being. You have a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions, and you live in a body. This is your earth suit. This gives you permission to function and operate on planet earth. But you are a spirit. This is a spiritual realm. And when you get born again, when you accept Christ, when you choose to follow Christ, all of a sudden it is at that moment that God invites you not just into a place of salvation where your sins are forgiven and you get to go to heaven, but he invites you into the life of the spirit where you begin to step in to the realm of God's spirit and begin to live by revelation of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a real familiar scripture, John chapter 3. Sometimes we don't read the beginning. We jump right down to John 3, 16. We're not even going to go that far. It says there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And he came after dark so nobody would see him, by the way. And Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us your miracles. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't what? See the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can a man, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can produce, can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. How many know that when you got saved, all of a sudden your eyes were opened? I mean, isn't it amazing how you started seeing things that had been there the whole time? Things that maybe you once embraced that you now said, why am I embracing that? Things that you once chased and you said, why am I chasing that? Things that you may have even neglected. Many people look at their family, their greatest treasure on planet earth, and spend their whole lives pursuing wealth and the things of this world. And finally they get saved and they look at their family and realize, man, why didn't I see the value of what was right here all along? Because the moment you accept Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. Your eyes are opened and you begin to see the kingdom of God. And you begin to enter into the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And that's what the second invitation is about. The second invitation is that God is inviting us by revelation to begin to live a spiritual life. To begin to walk not by sight but by faith. To begin to live a life not based on the senses of our reality but based on the revelation of the Holy Spirit and begin to make decisions and choices and actions that are solely driven by His Spirit, His Word, leading and guiding us into things that we could never see, never experience, and never encounter apart from His presence now living and abiding in us. It is an invitation of revelation. And it is the greatest journey. I will tell you, there is nothing greater in your life than experiencing God, hearing His voice, 
having God open things up to you. Isn't it amazing how you can pray and you can pray and you can pray and one day finally you pray and your eyes open. It's like the story right of Elijah's servants and the army had came and surrounded them and Elijah's servants came and said, Lord, they're we're surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elijah prayed. He said, God, open his eyes. And he saw that the hills all around them were surrounded with, with the angels of the Lord and chariots of fire. And He said, there are more that are for us than there are that are against us. See, when you begin to live by revelation, you begin to walk in a new realm of confidence, courage, and boldness that you could never walk in in your flesh. Why? Because you would always be intimidated by what you see. See, the carnality of our flesh, what you see will intimidate you. It's intimidating when we see the checkbook at the end of the month. It's intimidating when you see struggles and pain and sickness and disease and heartache and heartbreak. I'll be honest with you, when we were in Guatemala, I was intimidated by the overwhelming physical need of those children. Their need was so great. It intimidated me. And there was a natural tendency that when I prayed for those kids to pray a weak prayer. Oh God, just help them prayer. Oh, Lord, just love them prayer. And the Holy Spirit had to check my heart. And he had to say, you can't walk by what you see. You can't allow the vision of your eye to intimidate your spirit so that you no longer invoke the presence and power of God. He said, I didn't bring you all the way to Guatemala so you could pray wimpy prayers. I shared on the video, I got an opportunity to pray with a little girl. Her name was Crystal, and she was nine years old. She was in a stroller. Her mom brought her out to see us, and uh, we got ready to go, and, and I knelt down. I was asked to pray for her, and so I knelt down just like this, and, and I put my hand out on her little knee, and the whole time we were there visiting with her, she was just kind of frailing her legs and her hands, and she couldn't talk, and her head was kind of swaying back and forth, and, and I put my hand on her little knee, and I started praying for her, and she kicked my hand off, and so I just kind of brought my hand back like this. And I mean, just two, three seconds later, I felt her little hand grab my two fingers. And she pulled my hand back on her knee so I could continue to pray for her. God didn't, God didn't send us there to pray puny prayers. God doesn't send you out in the darkness out in a world that desperately needs the power of God so you can look at a world and be intimidated by what you see so that your prayers become suppressed to the reality of your vision instead of being elevated to the reality of revelation. And so God invites us into a life of revelation where we begin to live a spiritual life, a spirit-led, spirit-filled life called Christianity. Let me give you our, our next to our last thought, and we're going to wrap this thing up. You guys have been patient tonight. Thank you. Revelation produces transformation. I like rhyming words. Did y'all figure that out? I like them. Helps the preacher stay on point. So, Revelation produces transformation because the Holy Spirit unlocks God's plan and purpose. We are no longer ignorant of the will of God for our lives. 
I, I, want to, I want to make a really bold statement. If you don't know what God wants you to do, you're not listening. If you don't know what God wants you to do, you're not listening. Now, I'm not saying you know everything you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. I don't have a clue. (laughs) But I know the next right thing I need to do. I know how I need to treat my family. I know how I need to treat my neighbor. Hey, I even know how I need to treat my enemy. I know I ought to pay my bills and I ought to operate off of a budget. And I'm just going to tell you, there is a whole lot that you know when you just learn to listen. And it's not that you have to get great revelation every day, but God will give you a revelation in one day that will govern your life for eternity. See, God told me a long time ago, 26 years ago, how to treat my wife, and God hadn't changed his mind on how I ought to treat her. I ought to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I ought to give myself for her because God gave himself for me. I know how I'm supposed to treat my wife. The will of God in my marriage is not a mystery. The will of God in my finances is not a mystery. The will of God in raising my children is not a mystery. The will of God for relationships is not a mystery. See, I meet so many Christians all the time. Well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. And I just don't know what God wants me to do. And I just don't know what God wants me to do. Listen. Listen. If you'll begin to listen, you'll probably begin to recognize you've already heard some things that you need to begin to implement today in your life. And maybe that's the question tonight. Maybe that's our closing point tonight is what is it that God has already revealed to you that you're not yet walking in? See, a lot of times we're wanting a fresh word when we need to embrace yesterday's word that has the potential to position you to hear what God wants to say and do. And so there's transformation through revelation because all of a sudden God reveals His purpose. God reveals His plan. I want to just close by reading this scripture. I've read it many times here. I love this this scripture because to me it it is so clear in what God wants to do. And it it exposes the lies of what the devil tells us many times. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, For this is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him and most people quote that scripture and I heard it preached my whole life and nobody ever read the next verse to me and they would read that verse and they would say see no eye has seen no ear has heard no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love them God's will for your life is just a mystery that's what they would say and I remember growing up hearing well God is mysterious ways of the Lord are just a mystery God's will is a mystery it kind of sounds like God wants us to live in the dark the rest of our lives but when you read the Bible Jesus actually said whoever follows me will not walk in darkness because they will have the light of life so if I'm not walking in darkness then I actually know what I'm supposed to do I know how I'm supposed to live I know at least the direction I ought to be moving in because God is not willing that I be in the dark. 
So the eye hasn't seen, the ear hasn't heard, nor has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. But look at verse 10. But it was to us that God revealed these things. God has revealed to us what He's prepared for us. And the Bible says He has revealed these things by His Spirit. For His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. His Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets secrets. What's, what is the last secret that God has shared with you? So I'm just telling you, every day God whispers. He whispers His will. He whispers His plan. He whispers His purpose. Every day God reveals, look what it says, deep secrets shallow Christianity is not the result of following Jesus shallow Christianity is the result of embracing religious tradition and abandoning a life in the spirit there is a depth in God that he wants to reveal to each one of us and it comes by revelation through his spirit look at verse 11 and no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit wouldn't you guys love to know what your wife was thinking sometimes maybe not alright and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit verse 12 and we have received God's spirit so if I've received God's spirit then I can know God's thoughts not only can I know God's thoughts, I can know God's deep secrets. I can know the secret plans of God that He has purposed for those who love Him. Look at the rest of this. And we have not received the world's spirit, so we can know. We have received God's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. We can know. We can know. 